All right. Well, I want to sort of bring you into why we are in Psalm 13 this week. Um, I got a call uh, earlier in the week uh, from Rob Folk and his uh, father, who I believe is up in Pennsylvania, is uh, not doing well. He's, he's, he has had cancer for some time and it's kind of recurred with a vengeance. And uh, so Rob um, was on his way up to visit with his dad, hadn't seen him in a couple of years, and he called me. And he said, uh, I need your help. I said, anything, what do you need? He goes, I want you to, to give me some scriptures that I can read with my dad. And I said, okay, I'd be honored. And kind of gave him my off the top of my head list. I actually texted it to him. And at the end of the message, I said, give me a little while and I'm going to send you some other psalms that y'all can read together. And I couldn't find what I was looking for. And so I'm sitting in a parking lot uh, on my little iPhone Bible and I just sort of, uh, it just felt it was necessary, I guess is probably the best way to put it, to start reading through the Psalms. And I was pretty sure that the one I was looking for was somewhere between one and a hundred. <laughs> and uh, there's more than a hundred Psalms, just in case you're wondering, but I was pretty sure it was somewhere in there. And so I kind of did this... Uh, you know, flyover of the first hundred psalms sitting in a parking lot in front of a liquor store um, just in the middle of the day. And I was struck by something that I had not been struck by before. And that something was... I think I would put it this way. How brutally honest the psalmists were. And I don't know if, you ever, if you've ever tried to read through just a, a group of psalms all at once. But if, if you're anything like me, some of them, many of them, will make you a little bit uncomfortable with just how honest the psalmists can be. Uh, probably the greatest example is when the psalmist is in fear for his life and he prays God's vengeance upon his enemies. Okay? And it just seems wrong on so many levels. But on the, on the kind of, you know, rapid flyover view... As you, as you unroll multiple of these, multiples of these psalms, one after the other, I, what just jumped out at me was the, the, the raw honesty of the psalmists. Um, when they're feeling sad, they're, they're honest. When they're feeling afraid, they're honest. When they're feeling 
whatever. They're just unbelievably honest about where they are and what they want from God. Um, I am pretty safe in saying I'm, I'm not usually that honest in my prayer life. Um, and so Psalm 13 is, is one of the psalms that I sent to Rob. There were many. I'll give you the list if you want to email me. I'll, I'll be happy to share it with you. Um, but uh, I just kind of stopped on this one and went, wow. I, I don't think I've prayed like this, at least not in a while. Um, and so I want to read it with you and kind of invite you into this psalm. And then we'll just kind of work through some of what it has to say uh, to our souls as we worship God this morning. From the 13th Psalm. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love, My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. How long? I don't ever hear God give an answer to that question. You've heard of rhetorical questions, and this is kind of the ultimate one. What in the world are we to do when life is not working? When despair seems greater than any other current reality. There's this sort of built-in component to being a child of God that involves waiting. Um, I I tried to sort of uh, play with that idea a little bit in the title. Uh, You know, 
life can be mean, but in the meantime, what do we do? And it's a, it's a question that I honestly don't think God gives a clear answer to, but I think he doesn't give that clear answer for good reasons. There is a, a degree to which God wants us unsettled, perhaps is the right word. Um, I'll put it this way. When God brings us into a posture of waiting, that, as painful as it is, is really where he does his greatest works within us. When we don't have what we long for, it, I suppose, would do one of two things. It will either draw us closer to God or it will push us farther away. And in either one of those realities, we learn. We learn either what life is like apart from God, and we eventually, hopefully, come to our senses, so to speak, and he brings us back to himself. Or, these mean times draw us closer to his heart, and we learn what it means to be loved, to be cherished, to be held in the midst of life's agonies. And as we look at the 13th Psalm, I just want to begin sort of where David begins. In this call to wrestle through the waiting. You know, I would ask the kids, you know, can you can you beat up God? And one of them says, well, only if he wants you to. Only if he lets you. And, it, and I, my mind immediately jumps to the 32nd chapter of Genesis where Jacob is returning to Canaan. And then before he crosses the, the Jabbok River, uh, he bravely, boldly looks at his family and says, this looks very dangerous, why don't you go first? All right, I'll stay here. You go ahead. I'll catch up to you tomorrow. And he's sort of camping out alone on the side of this river. And this being shows up and begins to wrestle with him. And we're not really sure who this entity is until the end of the passage when this being says to Jacob, you have wrestled with God and overcome. And the being changes Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel, which, when translated, means wrestles with God. And so there's this very full sense in which our name is the people who are called into this wrestling with God. The life of faith is no cakewalk. Now, some of you are young enough to not even know what that is. Um, but suffice to say, it's not, a, it's not easy. It is, by design, a wrestling. 
a working through, a, a fighting, if you will, toward that which God wills for us. And nowhere is the wrestling more difficult than in the times we are forced to wait. I almost have to laugh as I preach that in our cultural context. We don't wait. We don't wait. Look at me. I am Mr. Whataburger. I don't wait. I drive up to the window, I get my food, and the fries are gone before I get home. Right? I cannot wait. Why are you listening to me talk about waiting? What do I know? Nothing. I can't do it. Except when God, by his providential hand, forces me into a position where I have to wait. Tom no likey weighty. And so Tom fights, and he wrestles, and he pushes back. And in the process, he learns more about his God, his Savior, his Redeemer, his friend. Um, and this is our calling, to wrestle through the waiting. In relation to God's timing, we, we, we wrestle over the issue of his timing in our lives. How long, <laughs> oh Lord, how long? God's timing is never my timing. And by changing the clock, he forces me into this position of waiting. And we wait in his timing for his care and his presence. For the two aspects of waiting that the psalmist first articulates in his poem. Um, he wants God to remember him, to care for him, and to be present to him, to not have his face hidden from him. And again, I, I don't, I really, I mean, I have felt this way at times in my life. I, I don't think I've ever just come right out and screamed it at God. The psalmist is more comfortable with our God than I usually am. I think is my point here. We're, we're to wrestle in relation to God's timing and in the midst of our own struggle. The, the context of that place in our lives where we feel overrun. The psalmist articulates some aspects of this struggle. He speaks of it in relation to his soul, his heart, and the general context of his life. Um, that verse 2, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Uh, let, me, let me try to take you back to a, a, what he was trying to say. He, he says, 
how long will I have conflicting counsels in my soul? Is exactly what he says. How long will I have these counsels, plural, in my soul? Connoting the idea that there's, there's these competing thoughts running through the psalmist's mind. Like, I should run. No, no, I should fight. No, I should hide. No, I should whatever. And by sort of drawing it and, and pulling it down to the idea of the soul, the psalmist gives it a very, a, a, its spiritual dimension. This struggle is spiritual, it's emotional, and it's, it's contextual in the sense that it, it, it meets us in real time and in real life. These aren't imaginary foes. And let's just suffice to say that God invites us into this conflict, into the fray. Um, Then, as the psalmist, uh, David in this case, um, sort of, finishes his, his unrolling of questions, he then turns to ask something of God directly. Well, not ask isn't even the right word. Uh, demand might be a better word. Um, look on me and answer. Dang. Whoa. It's a call to relate to God in honesty. To to relate to Him honestly. What we think, what we want, what we need. To relate to Him honestly your desires, what you want from Him, and what you need. From him. And, you know, I have to give some credit where credit is due. Uh, some years ago, uh, Jim and Linda and I spent time uh, just about every morning um, in prayer. And I, 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 what I took away from that time was very simple that most of what the Bible calls us to in prayer has nothing to do with what we want. That is a component. But most of what we are called to in prayer is not about what we want God to do on our behalf. Most of the prayer you see in the Bible is focused elsewhere, let's say. But here... In a very direct way, the psalmist takes us straight to the heart of what we want and gives us permission to go straight to God and say, this is what I desire. This is what I demand, so to speak. And... It's not that God can be manipulated. That's not the point. 
The psalmist isn't saying if you demand it from God, you'll get it. That's not the message. But he's giving us permission to be brutally honest with ourselves and our Creator about our desires and about our fears. This is sort of one of those other um, interesting themes that emerges as you fly over the first hundred psalms. Uh, how often the, the thread of fear is woven in to the message of the psalmist. And here it is again, I guess, in verse 4. My enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. This is just a a poetic way of saying, um, it's over. I'm I'm, I'm in for it. I'm, I'm sinking. And he articulates to God the fear that is present in his waiting. That which threatens and that which evokes shame. The psalmist gives this idea of his enemies gloating over his demise. Sort of an ultimate view of shame. And he's brutally honest with God about it. I don't want this. <laughs> Help. This is where I am. And so the psalmist calls us into the wrestling and into the honesty and then to return to God wholeheartedly. One of the things that's striking about Psalm 13, it's, it's only six little verses. And he goes from despair to hope in six verses. The other psalms that do this take a lot longer to get there, typically. But there's this idea embedded in this return that we are to trust. Um... I actually think uh, one of the kids said it pretty well. You know, he's our creator. He made us. We can trust him. That's really what it all comes back to. Is this one with whom we are wrestling, who calls for the deep honesty of our souls, is the same one who made us. And he's putting us in this position to evoke something from us and draw us back to his heart where we learn to trust his love and his salvation his unfailing love as the psalmist puts it did you get the theme of unfailing love in verses 1 and 2 Yeah, not so much. I mean, it sure did seem like the love had failed. Will you forget me forever? How long must I wrestle 
with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart. And yet, I think I'll put it this way. When we are able to be fully honest with God and just do the, the emotional dump of our souls before him, he shows up. And we're free, I guess, in that position to hear him, to see him, to remember who he is and how he works, and that he is the source of unfailing love and the source of our salvation. Um, I once heard another pastor say it something like this. Our salvation, let me put it this way, our understanding of our salvation grows with us over the course of our lives as we understand more of who we are, who we are not, our own sin, our own shortcomings, our own, you name it, the bigger that pile grows, the larger our salvation looms. In other words, if we only consider ourselves many sinners, we have a very small salvation. The larger our understanding of who we are, and even the darkest and most honest sense of that term, the greater our God, the greater our salvation appears to us. And that is really, I think, one of the, one of the mystifying components of the gospel. That, you know, it's, at some point we, we get it, right? That, that God through Christ has given us something we cannot get for ourselves. And it puts us in this posture of need, if you will, of inability. And so we say, yes, Lord, we need that. We, we desire that. We, we accept that. And the gospel becomes real in a sense. But then we suddenly or soon thereafter realize that this isn't over. That I'm, all my problems have not been solved. I'm still a jerk or whatever. I still need him. And our grasp of the depth and the breadth of that salvation expands. And every time we're, we're forced into this posture of waiting and we cry out to our Creator in honesty and we remember who He is and what He has done for us through Christ, our grasp of His salvation explodes. We're to return to Him in trust and in joy. To enjoy who God is and what He has done. And it is amazing 
to me that in such a short span of verses, we go from, will you forget me forever, to I will sing to the Lord. David reminds us that we enjoy God by expressing our gratitude and by remembering his goodness. And this goodness is not just a claim on the past. David is in fact saying that even even here, in the midst of this waiting and wrestling, where I feel like you're a thousand miles away, I can still lay claim to your goodness. Not just that which you have done, but that which you will do in the future, in the present, in all eternity. And we are left with this glimpse, this glimmer of hope that in the midst of life's meanest times, we wrestle, we wait, we come to places of honesty and truth in our relationship with God, and we remember and enjoy who He is. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that You are never finished with us. That You are constantly wrestling us closer and closer to Your heart, to who You are, to what You desire for us. Lord, I pray that you would lead each of us into a more honest and a more joyful relationship with you through what your Son has done for us on the cross. It is in his name we pray. Amen.